You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Marlon McKay, and thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon on, I guess, something that we've encountered. We might have known about it, but we didn't know what to call it. Good afternoon. Yes, thanks for having me on my show. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's it, on your show, sorry. It's, uh, it's fairly common, um, 3% of the general population, and a lot of people think that this is who they are. You know, this, mm. Is, mm. this is how I've always been. Um, and they, they shy away from shaking hands, they shy away from being in the heat and, and crowds because they think it is normal for them. And this is why we have this term called hyperhidrosis, which is, in fact, a medical condition for someone who sweats excessively. The problem is we can't measure it. You know, we don't have a you know, blood test to do it. We don't measure it in a cup size, how many milliliters or liters, whatever the case is. So it's a very sub, it can be a subjective uh, diagnosis as it were. I get you, I get you. But I, I guess as, as subjective as it is, there is sort of something that, you know, some alarm bells that, that ring off where you, uh, where it's a case of, well, I've shaken so-and-so's hand. Wow, those, 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 those palms were really wet, you know. Uh, this person constantly seems to be dripping with sweat. Yes, absolutely. So we know our bodies and we know when something is just not right, something that's changed. So as you mentioned, the, 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 a classic one is the shaking of hands. You mm. shake someone's hand and it's literally dripping as if they're having an, a, a panic attack. You become self-conscious about it. When there's a fear of, uh, for instance, um, taking, you know, taking part in physical activities, especially where you'll be able to, where you can sweat more. Um, in the job, in, in, at, at work, for instance, you mm. know, where someone, is, you can see it and where it may affect, you know, the way you work on your, at your, at your workstation, um, driving, the steering wheel is always, is always wet. Um, you're constantly aware of, of uh, the stains under in your armpits. For mm, you. mm. So there's that social dynamic which gets affected, which alerts you to, listen, this, something is wrong here. This is not normal. And I'm already starting to withdraw because of the fear of what people are thinking or saying about me. Indeed. Uh, 011-883-0702. Alternatively, you can get a hold of us on 072-702-1702 with uh, either a voice note, alternatively a text message via WhatsApp. I'd like to hear your own experiences with, um, I just want to make sure that I uh, pronounce this properly, hyperhidrosis. Um, if, if it's something that affects you personally, so in other words, you have hyperhidrosis. Alternatively, you know of someone who is hyperhidrosis. And, um, you know, and, and, and more specifically for, for people that went through particular treatments, uh, to deal with the issue. So, doctor, do we know what causes hyperhidrosis? Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, the way, the way to describe in terms of causes, firstly, to distinguish between what we call primary and, and, and secondary. So primary is probably the, the, the more common. This is where we don't really know a specific cause, also called idiopathic. But in terms of the definition, so there's excessive sweating. Mm-hmm. It usually mm-hmm. can affect the whole part of the body or certain areas. And usually it's the armpits, as we know, the, you know, the palms of your hands, the hand mm-hmm. shaking, the soles of one's feet, face and chest, sometimes even the groin. And usually both sides, so it's, it's symmetrical, bilateral, both armpits are usually affected equally. Mm. So in that case, it's usually what we call, that's the definition of hyperhidrosis. And in most of cases, it's, it's, uh, it's primary. In other words, we cannot find a specific, uh, specific cause. And that's really difficult to, to, to treat, knowing that there's no specific cause. 
sometimes you can also find a, a, another a, a definite cause. We then, we then call it secondary hyperhidrosis. In other mm. words, it's as a result of a certain trigger. Anxiety for when someone gets a panic attack and one of those, uh, the cold sweat, as we talk about. Mm. Um, side effects of medications can do it. Um, you may find it in menopause with the excessive sweating and the flushing, hot flushes. Mm-hmm. Um, med- a medical condition, if you're having a hypo, hypoglycemic attack, so you're diabetic, you've over-insulinized, given too much insulin without eating, sugar drops drastically, one of the signs is uh, uh, sweating. Mm-hmm. Um, overactive thyroid gland can do it, and infection. You know, when you're running a high temperature, there's usually a lot of sweating. So in those cases, there is an identifiable cause, you call it, um, secondary hyperhidrosis. But for the most part, and for the purpose of this discussion, we're talking about those patients who, who have it continuously, no no certain uh, identifiable trigger, and it's just ongoing and getting worse and affecting your day-to-day life, as it were. I get you. Uh, but in those particular, especially in the instance of secondary, so it's not something that you're living with on a day-to-day basis, it crops up when there's a certain set of conditions. So, for example, I'm hypoglycemic, um, I'm I'm, I'm anxious about something, I'm I'm excessively nervous about something, to the point of even uh, a panic attack. or So in other words, there's an underlying thing that happens and then um, I have hyperhidrosis. So do we treat the actual hyperhidrosis or is the treatment then aimed at the underlying issue? So for example, making sure that I regulate my blood sugar as a diabetic, uh, making sure that I deal with my anxiety, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So in those cases where it is secondary or caused by an identifiable trigger, the trick there is to treat the cause or treat the trigger because then the the, the excessive sweating goes away or stops. So if there's an infection, treat the infection. Fever comes down, sweating stops. Um, same thing with the, with control of blood sugar. So that is why those are much easier because there is an identifiable trigger. You can then treat the trigger or avoid the trigger, and then the hyperhidrosis stops. It's, the, the challenge is in those cases where there is no identifiable cause or trigger. Yeah. So I have a, I've come across people who, I mean, based on the definition and my understanding now, uh, one could say has uh, hyperhidrosis, right? Whether it be primary or secondary, that I can't tell you, but, but let's assume it's someone that has the primary form of it. Um, I've heard, for example, of people saying, no, 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 it's a, you know, if, if you have sweaty palms, it's a very simple thing. It's just a little gland in your wrist that the doctor needs to fix, or this just has to happen, or that has to happen. It's a little gland in your armpits, or whatever the case. Is that the case, or is it, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you, and it is something that you have to live with? Yeah, so so it's, that's a very simplistic uh, statement, but it's it's part, or sort of called partially, partially true. Sure. As you know, we have Lots of sweat glands in these specific areas, in your axillary or armpits, parts of your hands and soles of your feet. And so if, it's, if you can block the production of sweat from those glands, technically then you can, you can treat it. Mm. So, so that's, that's where we're going to in terms, in terms of treatment. So it's a little bit more complicated. But um, you, if you, you can use it either via stronger antiperspirants to try and uh, prevent the perspiration coming there. You can also use tablets. So tablets, just think of a, a tablet that is designed for one thing, but as a side effect causes drying of secretions. It blocks certain functions in your body. Mm-hmm. It causes dry mouth. Um, it reduces sweating. So you can take a tablet that is used for one thing, 
but because of the side effect, can actually use, we use it to alleviate hyperhidrosis. And then with the more severe cases, yeah, this is where you want to actually block the sweat gland. So there are certain procedures. Botox is one of the common ones that we ah. talk about. Um, there's another one called iontopesis. And then, of course, actually, um, even, there's even surgical procedures where you actually uh, remove, remove the nerves that, uh, that supply the gland that sweat, that control sweating in that area, for instance, the armpit. And, and that's what they're probably talking about. Mm. I mean, those are some you know, relatively serious procedures. So I guess there's a lot to think about and I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a couple of seconds in terms of, uh, you know, what are some of the considerations that people need to take into account? I guess any form of treatment ultimately has its side effects, has its risks, has its concerns, uh, but we'll talk about those in, in, in just a few. The one thing that stands out for me is that, I mean, what we're talking about when we talk about um, hyperhidrosis. Thus far, it sounds very much um, like something that is inconvenient, uncomfortable, embarrassing even, right? Um, are there serious medical consequences or concerns when talking about or, or dealing with um, hyperhidrosis? Because I take it that you are uh, sweating excessively, so what comes to mind immediately, doctor, is the fact that, uh, you know, you, you might be losing a, lo- a lot of fluid. Does it go as far as that and just remaining really hydrated, making sure that you remain hydrated well? Or are there other consequences that, that couldn't be all that good for your health? Yeah, yeah, so that's a great point. So in terms of your body, there's a marvelous way of regulating your, your fluid balance. Mm. Um, so if, for instance, if you're losing too much fluid, it would reduce the amount of perspiration produced, amount of urine output, whatever the case is, whether sensible, insensible, fluid losses. But I think for me, if, if I would place myself in, in the position of someone who has excessive sweating right now, I think it would affect me psychologically. Mm, mm. You know, just as you're saying, anxiety can cause sweating. I think excessive sweating may cause me to, to be anxious. It would have, definitely have some sort of psychological or emotional impact where I would probably become more withdrawn. I wouldn't want to be in, in crowds. I wouldn't want to be shaking people's hands. I would be hyper-conscious of, of um, you know, a body odor, for instance. Am I mm. Can people mm. smell? Can people see? If it's hot and I just point to something in the air, can they see what's happening under, in my armpit? You know? Because that's um, a side, I mean, that's not a side effect. I mean, it's, uh, it's related. Um, the, yes, more you, yeah. you know, the more you sweat, the more... Um, you expel um, uh, fluid through sweating, the, the, the more there's going to be a smell. The more visible it is, yeah. Then we also know there's a link between certain skin conditions. So um, abscesses and boils can happen. Um, mm. Eczema can be associated with it, you know, derm- uh, this dermatitis, atopic dermatitis. And then one is also put more at risk of fungal infections. You can imagine excessive sweating in the feet. Mm. At the athlete's feet, what you call tinea pedis, etc. So there are some in my mind, fairly, uh, fairly serious consequences or complications that can arise as a result of hyperhidrosis. So, so even though it may not be a serious medical condition, on an individual scale, it can definitely impact one's emotional and physical well-being. Mm, that, that's, that's actually a very interesting point there, especially around, um, and I guess that's one of those things where we tend to put the physical health first and we don't take into account all that often the psychological impact that it has, which, which in itself is, is equally as, if not more, severe in, in many instances, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, it, you know, as a, as a, as a medical practitioner, it, 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 it involves listening to your patient. So um, you may just have seen a patient who has stage 3 or stage 4 cancer and yet the next person comes in high fibrosis and the doctor may, you may well feel, you listen, you're wasting my time. You know, this is not serious. You're not going to die from it. Why are you here? Here's a pill or do this. Don't wear these clothes. You know, avoid the hot weather, whatever the case is. Mm. But I think we need to take cognizance of how can this be affecting this patient on what level, whether it be physical or emotional. So, um, again, look at it from an individual point of view and, and really listen to our patients and see how it is affecting them. No, definitely. I do agree with you. Again, a quick reminder, 11 alternatively 072 for people who would like to contribute to the conversation, share uh, with us your own experiences with this, whether it was something that uh, you encountered. Um, and I think also, Dr., um, perhaps asking sort of that question that's to some extent the elephant in the room, right? Um, is how do you deal with it when, you know, a colleague, a friend, a family member um, is dealing with hyperhidrosis um, and, and, you know, you, you want to let them know that, listen, um, this is the situation and, and is there even a need in the first instance, especially based on what you had said, where you, you are in a situation whereby you might be self-conscious already. There is an internal mechanism that makes you realize that, mm, hang on a second, I am sweating a heck of a lot more than, than what is expected. Um, I'm, I'm perspiring a lot more than the average person. Yeah, you know, this is such a sensitive topic uh, point, and I get, uh, I get this a lot with, uh, with this other condition, halitosis, mm. foul-smelling breath. Yes. Where, where, where you'll have someone who says, I need to tell somebody how do I do it, or the patient comes in and is convinced they've got halitosis, and the first question I ask is, has someone told you that your breath is bad? Mm. And, and usually they'll, they'll say, no, no one has told me, but I don't think anyone has the guts to tell me, you know? And so this is, this is where you find um, hyperhidrosis in a similar scenario, although at least hyperhidrosis is a lot more uh, physical and, and, and visible. So if you shake someone's hand, you can, you can say in a sensitive way, oh, your hands are a bit wet. Have you, have, you know, have you washed your hands? Or are they always so, so wet? Are they always so sweaty? As opposed to confronting somebody about the, 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 the perspiration in their armpits. So that can make it a little bit easier. But I, I fully agree that it can be quite a sensitive topic to approach someone um, mm. and try and alert them. The good news is that most patients are probably aware of it already mm. and they would appreciate mm. some sensitivity and, and even some help or advice, general advice in terms of how to, how to deal with it. And then I guess, you know, going back to your point, especially around the uh, sensitivity of, of the issue and also really looking at what the options are at this stage. I mean, we'll talk about... Um, symptoms, we'll talk about, uh, not symptoms, about treatments and uh, the efficacy as well as uh, side effects and those types of things. But, uh, you know, halitosis as an example, right? Let's say I find a very tactful way of saying to my colleague that, listen, you know, or my friend, listen, um, you know, you're dealing with halitosis and, and you know, there is assistance and uh, you can try this, you can try that. That's something that you can fix, I guess, unless there's a serious medical reason for it. Um, but, but it's a bit difficult, especially if the person is aware of their hyperhidrosis, number one. Number two, 
um, you know, what, what further treatments or what else do they need to do? What is the end point? What is the end goal? Why are you telling this person if there's almost yeah. nothing that they can do about it? I guess that for me is the key thing there. Uh, we got a voice note that came through, uh, doctor, and I think that voice note will also start leading us into the treatments and the efficacy and, and all of that. And also, um, obviously trying to distinguish from the old wives' tales. Let's be honest, there's all kinds of old wives' tales, and I'm sure that there's many linked to hyperhidrosis. Abel, fire away. Good afternoon, Keshan. You know, this um, condition that you guys are discussing today, there is someone I know who has it, but now at least it's, it's, it's sort of getting better. They are no longer sweating as, as they used to. It's... So we went on the net, tried um, drinking two glasses after, immediately after you wake up, two glasses of water. And then before you take a bath or a shower, drink one glass of water also. And tomato juice, lemon juice, and mint. Water with mint. That really, it really helps them a lot. They are no longer sweating as they used to. And then, hey, with the tomato and lemon, we know some people, they can't tolerate the acid from it. But that's what worked for them. I was about to say, uh, doctor, I don't know um, yeah, if, if I'd rather live with a condition or have to drink tomato juice. I mean, that's a tough one. Um, but I mean, on a, on a serious note, I mean, again, I guess that takes us to treatments, the efficacy thereof, and, and of course, side effects. I mean, you, you may, let's start with Botox. Um, and, and Botox injections. I mean, apart from, I guess, the pain, I don't know if a local anesthetic is, is applied or whatever the case is, but I mean, is it effective? Does, and how long does it last? And is it safe? Yeah, so, so this is probably one of the, the most, it's very effective and the most popular way short term of dealing with, um, with, with, um, with hyperhidrosis. So, so literally you injecting the toxin into, into, into the skin over that area. So for instance, whether it be the armpit or the palms, um, palms of the hand. And so they work by, they block the signals, um, that the brain sends to the sweat glands to produce, uh, sweat or perspiration. Mm. Um, and usually, you know, probably about 20 to 30, depending on the size of the area, injections mm. are given in, in that time, but really tiny needle. So um, they don't really need an anesthetic anesthetic for that. Um, it, this, the side effect will really be just related to that area. In other words, you can get some, some pain, obviously, because you're giving injections. Mm. Um, side effects from the injection itself, you may get some, some headaches, some patients may feel, may feel dizzy. But what interesting... What we also find with Botox, which is a condition called compensatory sweating. So you're switching off production of sweat in one area, and your body tends to compensate, so another part of the body may make up that sweat for the wow. area that you're treating. <laughs> and so you may get that. Um, also, if you inject into the muscles, you may get a bit of muscle weakness in the area. But most of the side effects, uh, you know, they don't last long. Okay. Um, yeah, and, then, and, and you can leave for, for months, some patients even have it for, for, for longer. So it is a procedure that may have to be repeated if the, if the, sweating, if the sweating comes back. But it's, it's very popular. Okay, great. And then 
You you mentioned uh, the surgical intervention, right? So um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, I don't have the requisite yeah. medical knowledge, but uh, the removal or dealing with the nerve that sends the actual signal for you know to to for perspiration. I mean, that sounds like a like a hectic one as well. Yeah, it's obviously sort of your 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 last resort after okay. you probably tried everything. Yeah, so it's called endoscopic thoracic sympathectomy. Mm-hmm. So these are the sympathetic nerves that actually give power current to the to the sweat glands, and and they travel from from the brain down. And you find these nerves usually in the um, in the side of the chest. Mm. So they con- control the the nerves for that give power for sweating in that area. And those actual nerves are cut or, or clipped. Mm. So now there's no signal, no current going through. So therefore you sweat. You're cutting off the perspiration. This is done, obviously, now under general anesthetic. So it can't be done in, in someone's rooms. You have to go see a specialist, be taken to theater, and then, and then have, it, have it done. But obviously, with any surgery, there's always risk. There's an anesthetic risk. There's a, a risk, if you, especially if you're unhealthy already. There can, be, there can be complications. You can also get this condition of uh, compensatory sweating, where you start sweating in some, some another area. And a lot of patients tend to, to, to regret even having doing the, the procedure, so mm. so it is it is sort of your your last resort because of the because of the of the complications with it. Yeah. Okay, no, hundred percent. And um, I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, there are quite serious uh, interventions. I think the next one that I want to touch on is obviously um, medications. Where you say that look, um, someone might you know be prescribed certain medications, um, and and it's not necessarily for their purpose, but as a side effect. The medication does lead to drying up, for lack of a better term. Um, that there, um, pros and cons. Yeah. So, so as I said, so for instance, there's, a, there's tablets that we use in in um, in patients who battle with overactive bladder. Mm. So they urinate quite often. So you and there's nothing really wrong with the urinary system. So you just want them to let the bladder be less overactive, so they don't have to to urinate so often. Um, the tablets that we can use in some of those conditions as a side effect will also reduce sweating. Mm, mm. Um, so, and so, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's cheap, it's non-invasive, um, and it can be quite effective. And I use that a lot in patients who suffer excessive sweating, especially if they don't want to undergo any procedures, and it's bearable. So it, 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 it can be quite successful. It may not work in every patient, but uh, I tend to get, we, we tend to get good results with it. Obviously, the other side effects it can also cause dry mouth, stomach cramps, constipation, and of course, and if you don't have a, an overactive bladder, it may make you pass even less urine. But mm. other than that, the patients tend to do quite well on that, and, and I found it quite successful. Excellent stuff, Doctor. Look, we going we're heading into our eyewitness news headline, so I'm going to ask you to stick around if you don't mind, so we can continue this conversation. O double one double eight three zero seven zero two for those of you who have comments and questions on what we discuss uh, discussing, as well as o seven two seven zero two one seven zero two for those of you that want to drop us a voice note or a, a text message via WhatsApp. Seven zero two masterclass. Abel doesn't like me. We we continue. Oh my. 
masterclass um, uh, with uh, none other than Dr. Marlon McKay. Thank you for those of you that are starting to give us a call on 011-883-0702. Alternatively, drop me a WhatsApp on 072-702-1702. Either voice note, alternatively, a text message there. Um, uh, Dr. McKay, thank you uh, for, for, for getting back, to, uh, I mean, for staying with us and continuing, continuing this conversation. I have one here that's come through um, I think either um, via WhatsApp or SMS line, I see someone says, may you ask the doctor about this? I'm taking Ostel Enalipril, Anna, right? I'm sorry, doctor. I'm not great with my pronunciation. That's yeah. yeah, with these, these wonderful medications. Um, but now I have a rash uh, on both arms. So is the remedy for what is the remedy for that? And this is Bafana in, in Soweto. Yeah, so, so enalapril, that uh, particular product is a, a, a tablet or medication that is used to treat hypertension or oh. uh, high blood pressure. Okay. Um, getting, getting, you know, if, if there's a, a specific relationship between I took the tablet and suddenly the rash came out, then it's a sensitivity or an allergic reaction. And mm. we usually have to say stop the medication. I must say that rash is not a common side effect of that particular pill. The more, more common side effect would be a cough, you know? Okay. So, so, but if, you know, you had never had a rash, you suddenly started taking the and there's a rash, then I suggest you go back to your doctor, explain to him, um, I, uh, don't rush to stop the tablet purely because of the risk of the blood pressure going higher. So please just, just, just get back as soon as possible to your doctor and they can just change the, the medication. Mm-hmm, I guess which is essential. Uh, let's let's speak to Aaron in Jobik um, CBD. Aaron, good afternoon. Yes, how are you? Good, good, thanks. I hope you're good as well. Fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just said in, 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 in the WhatsApp, my sweat a lot at night. I'm 66. I, I sweat a lot at night. Do you understand that it also causes me to have flu, flu non-stop. I even had to use antibiotics, you know. To try and control this flu, because whatever I drink, my, my flu doesn't come out. But I sweat every night, and the sweat tends to hold water in my body. I have to change my T-shirt several times, and I also pee a lot, about eight times at night because of the prostate thing. And I had a doctor talking about um, overactive bladder, so I lose a lot of water through sweat and in peeing. So I don't know if any solution for me. Okay, just hold the line there for me, Aaron, if you don't mind. I mean, doctor, that sounds quite hectic. I mean, both the sweating as well as uh, losing fluids yeah. through uh, persistent yeah. urination. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so night sweat is always a bit of a, a bit of a challenge or a worry for me, especially if it is accompanied by uh, something else like a loss of weight or fatigue. It could can be a red flag for for other conditions. If you've always been had a problem with night sweat and it's who you are and you have no other symptoms. Then, it's, then that can be classified as under sort of this excessive sweating at night. Mm. The problem is, as you mentioning now, he's also got a prostate problem. So the excessive, the night sweat causes him to get thirsty, he has to drink fluid, and, but now the prostate is enlarged. He has lower urinary tract, tract symptoms, so difficulty in passing urine. So it just exacerbates the whole thing because now he's also retaining water and not able to pass the urine as he should because of the uh, um, obstruction with the prostate. So in this case, the, the prostate would take priority, and there, there is medication available that can uh, minimize those symptoms, either relax the muscles of the, of the urethral tract around the bladder and allow the urine to flow better. 
And this is the discussion that you need to have with the doctor as to how can I uh, alleviate the symptoms of the enlarged prostate so that I don't have to drink so much water from the sweating and make it worse. Okay. Now I get that. And, uh, I mean, one of the things, and, and um, I don't mind sharing this any longer, doctor, when I was uh, back in 2004, what to, uh, when, when I was a, a youngin, I... Uh, I ended up with uh, contracting uh, tuberculosis, and and one of the symptoms was exactly that excessive exactly. Uh, night sweats, and and it's yeah. uh, you know it's it's actually quite surprising how much you sweat, how much fluid you lose at night, and it's a weird thing because throughout the day um, you seem to be fine, and then the moment you get under the covers, then it and you you know you sleep, then it seems that you just literally lose liters and liters. Um, of, of, of water. So I guess that it is important then to see a physician on that basis. Let's go to Ketiwe in Johannesburg. Ketiwe, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, um, doctor. So the question I have is in regards to my son. He's 12, he's 12 years old and his hands and feet are constantly sweating. So it's very challenging for him because it's affecting him. Uh, he likes his sports. So, you know, when they have to shake hands and his friends, they don't want to shake because his hands are wet. So, is there any treatment for kids? Yeah, so, so that's, kids, kids is always a challenge, especially, especially before, before puberty. Um, and, and, um, and they are very, very conscious of, of, the, of the excessive sweating and especially with, with body odor and especially with... Um, uh, playing sports, which are already makes them perspire excessively. Mm. Um, we, we, we don't have recognized, recognized treatment is, is in terms of taking medication. And this is where we, we, we rather use uh, topical treatment. In other words, treatment that can be applied to the skin um, and to mechanically block the sweat glands. And your best bet there would be, would be um, antiperspirants. And especially persons that contain aluminium hydrochloride, um, aluminium chloride. So they are quite effective at blocking it, um, but it can cause a bit of sweat, of, of skin irritations, some redness, and, and itchiness. But that would be probably the best and the safest means of, of treating it in children. We don't, we don't recommend prescription, uh, prescription drugs for that. At, at, oh, okay. And especially at that age of 12, where they sort of prepubescent pre-pubescent if not pubescent is it also possibly a phase that you go through because if i'm not mistaken unless of course and look it's been years since i've been pre-pubescent or pubescent for that matter i think i went through a bit of a phase where it was you know a little excessively sweaty but but you know i I passed it. I, I guess I, I I sweat like the average bloke. So is there a possibility that it's a, a phase that you're going through um, as yeah. the hormones are surging and all that? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and, and it's usually something new. And this is where, where reassurance comes in uh, from parents. Mm. To say that, uh, um, you know, don't, don't, don't worry. It will go away. Um, we can always have a check out. Don't let it affect your, your self-confidence or your, your social life whatever the case is, your quality of life. Um, and that's not a serious medical condition. And usually, again, as you say, it can, it can be a phase, and, and as they grow older, um, it can disappear. If, if your child is overweight, it can also be a bit of a problem, excessive sweating. Mm-hmm. And I think it also, I mean, that's generally, this, as you said, it's a topical 
um, application. So let's get you an antiperspirant that's a little stronger. Obviously, not anything that's going to harm you, but but something that w- that's a little more effective. That's 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 the word I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And then these are available if you speak to your local chemist and explain what the problem is. So it's not just your general cosmetic one. Um, as long as it's got that uh, aluminum chloride in, can be a lot. It can be quite uh, quite effective without having to resort to more drastic measures, as you were talking about earlier on. Indeed, indeed. Um, I mean, that's uh, and, and I guess that's that's you know what this conversation ultimately boils down to as well is is that it all too often has to do with that psychological and social. Um, impact that it all has on you as opposed to, you know, clear and present medical and physical danger, I guess, doctor. But let's go to uh, Deshaun in in Johannesburg. Deshaun, how's it? Hi, Deshauna. Yes, Deshauna. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, good afternoon. And yeah, um, what's on your mind? Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question around um, excessive sweating from hot flashes due to menopause. Uh, does the doctor have any advice in terms of that? You know, if it's excessively, if excessive sweating um, usually in the night, but also during the day, and you can imagine with the hot temperatures we're experiencing right now, mm. it becomes really uncomfortable, especially when you're in the workplace. Um, you know, you constantly have to have a fan or, or keep cool. But is there anything from a medical perspective that um, doctors can recommend? Thank you for that, Tashana. I guess uh, that secondary um, scenario that you that you uh, described. Yes, absolutely. And 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 from a medical point of view, we regard the the excess of the flushing and the sweating as probably the most crucial uh, important symptoms of of menopause, and that's the one we take serious in terms of assisting our patients. However, with you know, the mainstay of treatment is usually um, hormonal replacement therapy, but that is not without its risks. So we first offer patients non-hormonal treatment, and many of these are available over-the-counter. The vitamin E stuff, there's uh, hot hush night sweat remedies by certain manufacturers that one can try. If that does not succeed and the, 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 the flushing and the sweating is of such a nature that it needs medical intervention, then we can offer the patient um, hormonal treatment, provided that there is no risk or prior history of uh, breast cancer, provided the patient is having regular mammograms, and also provided the patient will only stay on the medication, probably not more than four to five years. Um, and, and, and if you keep those criteria in mind, then it can be a safe and very effective way of managing it. Um, but first, I always recommend patients first try non-hormonal treatment remedies, and if mm. they don't succeed, then we can go on to, we can consider and discuss hormonal treatment. Great. Thanks for that, doctor. Let's go to Bob in Joburg. Bob, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So just for everyone that wants to know what that actual product is, the role on, there's something called Perspirex. Um, Perspirex, I was uh, sweating excessively a lot. After using it, it cut it down about 70%. I used to sweat a lot also at night. They have a put and hand cream. That works excellently. You apply it before you go to bed. You wake up in the morning, wash, and it lasts about three, four days. So it's called Perspirex, in case anybody wants to know uh, what to use. Okay, thanks for that, uh, Bob. I think Bob either driving or being mobile or in some shape or form. Perspirex, he's saying there, is um, has reduced, um, from his experience, 
um, his own uh, perspiration by up to 70%. I mean, seemingly, um, I, th- I guess that's also topical. I guess that's not, you know, a medical or medicinal intervention. Uh, it's topical and it, it seemingly worked for him. Yeah, so there are a number of these pre- uh, preparations and um, not every product works for every patient, so it's worth your while trying something. I'm using mm. it for a little while. If there's no, if there's no um, a definite improvement, try, try something else. But usually patients will find something out there that uh, is effective for them. So, Doctor, I mean, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken about that and, um, and I know I've, I've asked this be- before um, around beyond the... the um, embarrassment and and the discomfort but the one thing that stands out for me especially if you um sweating a lot can it create an electrolyte imbalance for example can it uh, result in in dehydration um if if one doesn't keep up and and monitor your your fluid intake on a regular basis are those some of the side effects that one needs to be concerned with and then on top of that my concern would be then if you are regularly um, dehydrated, couldn't it lead to other complications, other forms of damage, the kidneys, etc., etc.? So, so, so dehydration is not a recognized complication of hyperhidrosis. Okay. So, as you but it just it's just excessive production by the the local sweat glands. Mm. It doesn't affect in any in any drastic way your overall fluid balance. Ah, and okay. Your body still has a remarkable way of balancing and maintaining that fluid balance. So at least one of the ways is not uh, is, it does not affect your 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 hydration or your level of hydration. Okay, no, that's good to know. So uh, unless I guess you never drink a, a glass of water again, um, then you know then it's not that it's your own management sure, and, sure. And, and intake of water i i, I mean what else and and i guess this is the issue it's 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 all very relative it's all very um subjective that's the term i was looking for there i mean what are some of the signs and the signals that people need to look out for because in as much as we're saying that you may be self-aware and you notice that mm, i'm sweating a, a lot more than what other people are um i guess it still becomes a case of how long is a piece of rope you know, because I might be someone that does, hardly ever sweats, whereas, you know, the guy that I play rugby with is constantly bucketing water, you know, or bu- bucketing sweat. So what are some of the the symptoms or the signs and signals I need to keep an eye out for where before I, I jump to the conclusion um, that I have hyperhidrosis? Yeah, so I think that's important because if a patient just comes in here and sits down and says, doctor, you know, I'm 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 sweating excessively. How would how would I know that uh, that this is, it, it is a condition rather than just a um, you know rather than just a patient just maybe even looking for attention or something or something like that? How would I know that I need some objective something less subjective? And and it's very difficult to diagnose in terms of you know blood tests. There's, there's nothing there that we can mm, mm. diagnose. So we really. You really rely on a patient's on a patient's history and how does it affect it? And so the question is, for me, is um, how is it affecting your daily life, right? Mm. In terms of socially, uh, the visible mark on your on your on your clothing, um, the dripping, the working behind the computer, the driving, the um, shaking hands, etc. And also, I would ask, where, where is it? Where, you know, where is this hydrosis, hydrosis, hyperhidrosis taking place? 
You know, is it in the armpit? Is it in the recognized places where where you would expect it, where you would expect it to be? And then, is it causing you embarrassment? Does it make you feel uncomfortable about being at work or being around your around your family? And so, if if if, if there's significant changes in the lifestyle or the ability to sit conduct to have your normal day-to-day activities, then that is, I'm comfortable in making that sort of diagnosis and assisting the patient. I hear you, Doc. Um, Ongama in uh, Pretoria wants to share, I think, exactly what you were saying there. Um, Doc, Ongama, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, yes, yes. Um, thank you for taking my call. I did want to share a different viewpoint as well. It really did affect me with schoolwork as well because when my hands would get wet to make the paper wet and then it would really like make you write slower and just honestly with certain subjects it was um, difficult to complete work as well. Mm. But then we did go to a doctor who helped a lot. He advised to get perspirex for the armpits and then for the hands there were these pill capsules called glycopyrrolate which honestly solved the problem for me. Okay, brilliant. No, thanks. And thanks for providing another uh, perspective there. I mean, something that we don't necessarily think of, but uh, constantly having to wipe down your hands, constantly having to try to protect the piece of paper that you might be writing an exam on or, uh, you know, writing your essay on. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it should be very difficult. Absolutely. I, I can remember writing a, um, a medical report for a patient, specifically asking him to consider giving my patient extra time during exams because of this constant uh, perspiration, not being able to hold the pen smoothly and not being able to finish an exam on time. So this is just reminding me of an excellent point that how it can affect you on an individual level and how it can impact what we would normally just take for granted, right? Mm, mm. No, it's, uh, and, and I guess that's the thing about it is it might not be life-threatening from a physical perspective. It might not be something that is debilitating from a physical perspective but there's that psychological element to it um you know the discomfort and that discomfort that further on then exacerbates uh, or gets made worse by you know um your your own psychological circumstances and i mean i can imagine in this instance you know all kinds of assumptions are made all kinds of disciplinary issues are picked up uh, from from a school perspective and lo and behold yeah you are just dealing with with uh, an actual physical issue that you have no control over, uh, literally. Absolutely. And, you know, just because something is not life-threatening doesn't mean it's, it's not serious. It's serious to the patient. And as you mentioned, the emotional impact, and you can see how patients can become reclusive, uh, introverts, um, isolated, and can actually lead to depression. You know, you, you, you've lost interest in things that you used to enjoy doing before. You don't want to be out with anybody. You just want to be at home, um, and it can, and, and, and we know the mental issues that go with depression can make one suicidal. You don't want to be mm. here because, because of a condition such as this. So it can be very isolating. And, and I think it's so, so important that we raise this point that, that, um, that we need to take every patient into consideration what they are feeling and take a condition like uh, hypothyroidosis very seriously and do everything in our power to make their lives easier. Most definitely. Um, I got one last voice note, uh, Doc, that I think is relevant to our conversation. Afternoon, guys. How's it? So, yeah, that's a different topic today, but this topic is quite relevant to me. I'm one of those people who 
sweats a bit more than usual and it does affect certain aspects of my life but i can say there is ways of managing and making it better but yeah i i know exactly what you guys are talking about uh, yeah anonymous victoria Thank you so much uh, for that voice note. Uh, well, I mean, Doc, it's it's one of those ones that you take for granted. It's something that you don't necessarily think about. And I guess this is, after all, why this is the masterclass. You know, be, uh, it's, it gives us an opportunity to learn about, um, you know, things that we're unaware of and, and more importantly, take it seriously, especially in this particular instance where it's something that, as I said, we all came across in some shape or form. We might have it ourselves we might have been self-conscious about it at one point or the other alternatively you have a friend or you have a family member or someone that you know a colleague um that has hyperhidrosis and um you know it's not necessarily something that you thought of it's not something that you uh, gave a second thought to and it it could literally have a massive uh, life-changing effect on them absolutely and 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 i think just what i would like to end with is, is saying that if you suffer with hyperhidrosis and, you, and, and your, your view is, look, this is who I am, this is how I've always been, um, mm. I've lived with it all my life, the message is there is help available. It doesn't have to be that way. And, um, and there's lots of stuff that we can do to help you. No, indeed. And I think that's valuable uh, to, to point that out as well, that there are things that you, um, you know, there is assistance that can be given. And I think also for the rest of us that um, are not... Um, impacted physically ourselves by hyperhidrosis, a bit of kindness, a bit of tact, a bit of consideration for another human being would go a long way, right? Absolutely. So let's just be more sensitive. It could have been you. Let's be more sensitive how we deal with it, how we approach it, and how we handle someone who, who is battling with it. Thank you so much. All the best to you. That is, of course, Dr. Marlon McKay, uh, General Practitioner. And today's ma- that wraps up today's Masterclass on Hyperhidrosis. It is 3 o'clock. Time for your latest eyewitness news. I'm saying cheers to you now. I'll chat to you tomorrow again. Definitely looking forward to it.